Welcome to the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chalmers, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Frank, a sports and shoulder surgeon at the University of Colorado in Denver. Rachel, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, Pete. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm good. Before we get started, I should mention that the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Society, the University of Utah, the University of Colorado, or the institutions of any of our guests. Today, we have an exciting and perhaps even controversial episode planned for you all. Today, we're speaking about residents with an interest in shoulder surgery and how to choose between shoulder, elbow, and sports medicine fellowships. We're fortunate to have two guests who are on completely different ends of the spectrum with respect to their careers, including a current resident who's recently made this important decision and an attending shoulder surgeon well-versed in advising students, residents, fellows, and young faculty. First, we have Dr. Eric Cotter, a current fourth-year resident at the University of Wisconsin who's applying to fellowships this cycle. He's interested in having a shoulder-heavy academic practice when he completes his training. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you both for having me. Excited to be here. And next, we have Dr. William Levine, professor and chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Columbia University in New York City. Dr. Levine completed two fellowships at Columbia and the University of Maryland. And among his many notable achievements is the head team physician of Columbia University, past president of the SES, editor-in-chief of the JAOS, well-known to almost everyone in our society. Dr. Levine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Nice to see you guys, Peter and Rachel. Eric, nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. All right. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about the perception. So what do you feel... Dr. Levine, is the perception of a sports medicine fellowship as compared to a shoulder and elbow fellowship from your peers? Well, it's evolved a lot, Peter, as you know, and a a modern sports fellowship today is quite different than the sports fellowship that I did uh, back at University of Maryland with T. Mormon and Leanne Curl. Uh, So today you've got to, you know, cover hip, you've got to cover pediatric and adolescent sports medicine, Uh, Sometimes uh, foot and ankle uh, can be a a significant portion. Uh, And then obviously a heavy dose of knee, elbow, shoulder uh, to round out the typical kind of sports fellowship. And that's, you know, changed dramatically. In the old days, it was pretty much knee and shoulder. And the knee was heavily dominant and the shoulder was kind of a, a bit player, if you will. Now, Eric, what do you think when you when you talk to your co-residents? What do you think is the general perception of kind of sports as compared to shoulder? Yeah, from from talking to mentors and and my uh, my colleagues, I as Dr. Lavina alluded to, sports is a much broader training, and with that, you may not get get the depth that a shoulder elbow fellowship may offer, particularly uh, for the shoulder. Uh, but you get a, a little more diversity with sports and. Ideally, when you're done, then you, when you're applying for jobs, may be able to market yourself as such. If you're trying to get into a certain market, um, if you have a strong interest, let's say in shoulder, but you're, you got some excellent training in knee or maybe some foot and ankle, you can do some of those cases for a period of time as you build your shoulder practice organically. So I think the, the breadth of it um, is, is certainly different. Um, it seems that the shoulder elbow fellowships have, have grown in number in recent years and the, the complexity and the depth of training has certainly advanced uh, with time. 
What do you guys think are the strengths and weaknesses of a sports medicine fellowship compared to a shoulder and elbow fellowship? You've kind of alluded to some of, uh, I think, what you're about to say, but let's get into the details. Um, Eric, let's go with you first, because you you recently had to make this decision, and I'm sure you weighed the pros and cons of a lot of different things, including the job market. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in the podcast. But when you think about, do I want to go to a sports fellowship? Do I want to go to a shoulder and elbow fellowship? What are the strengths and weaknesses of each of these opportunities? Yeah, strengths. So I think first and foremost, if you're going to decide between sports and shoulder elbow, you should decide if you want to do any knee. And if you don't want to do any knee, then doing a sports fellowship is rather silly. No matter what you do for sports, whether you're going to have some foot and ankle uh, peppered in or some adolescent um, medicine, you're going to do a lot of knee. So to come out and not want to do any knee in your practice um, would be rather silly because you're going to get a lot of it in your fellowship. So for me, I was, I was thinking long and hard about, well, do, do I want to give up knee? And at least at this point, I'm not ready to. I really enjoy uh, the breadth of knee pathology, both open and arthroscopic. So that was one um, aspect of it that that made me think that sports would, would maybe be the most appropriate, um, despite wanting to do a lot of shoulder, would be the most appropriate route for me. Um, what other aspects do you want me to touch on, Rachel? I'm sorry. Well, what about weaknesses? So when you made yeah. or when you're making this decision or when you talk to your junior residents or residents around the country, um, as you'll be in a mentorship role, if I'm sure you already are with your junior residents and you will be as you grow in your career, what do you think are the weaknesses potentially of doing one or the other fellowship? I, I, I doubt that a sports fellowship can offer the true depth uh, that a shoulder elbow fellowship can as it pertains to treating all open and arthroscopic shoulder procedures and elbow. I don't know that many sports fellowships offer a strong elbow experience or even some fracture care, which I know some shoulder elbow fellowships offer a nice fracture experience, uh, particularly at the, the Mayo Clinic, I know is rather strong in that regard. So it's just a matter of a year is only a year. And you can, when you have to fill from a sports perspective by doing some hip and some other things, there's only so much time. And I don't know that you'll do the number of revisions and, and other more challenging cases that um, you might get in say Dr. Levine's shoulder and elbow fellowship. There's just not enough time. So I do think you might not be as comfortable with some of the more complex stuff going the sports route versus shoulder elbow. Dr. Levine, how about from your perspective, when you have, you know, residents coming in third year, fourth year, they've decided they love the shoulder, but they don't know which way to go. And again, I'm I'm sure a lot has to do with job market and potential opportunities in the region that they're interested in. How do you advise them as to the pros and cons of either fellowship? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, one of the things we need to touch on is a lot is based on what your residency training is. You know, our residents, Rachel, I think you know this and Peter knows for sure. Our residents, by the time they're done, they've done almost a year of training with me and Chris Ahmad and Charlie Jobin. And so they almost have had a shoulder and elbow fellowship during their training. So it's rare for my residents to actually do shoulder elbow fellowships. They much more commonly do sports fellowships. And that's not because of the job market afterwards uh, entirely by any stretch. That may be, uh, again, we'll talk about that part of it, but that's because of their comfort level in training um, in great part. Now, Joel Peterson is one of our fourth years this year, and he is applying in shoulder and elbow. So every three or four or five years, we'll have a resident who breaks the trend. But, you know, in any given year, I'll have two or three um, residents applying in sports Uh, and not in shoulder. So I think that's a a part of it. Uh, I think the other part is, um, I I think uh, Eric nicely said, the knee is one consideration. The other is sports medicine coverage. 
and team coverage, right? Because shoulder elbow fellowships, that's not usually part of, of the phenotype of those types of fellowships. Whereas you go to Curl and Job and you're going to be covering a sports event every, you know, every other night or every night of, of your year there. You go to HSS, you're going to be covering a ton of sports. And that may be something you're really interested in. And so that's great. So that's a strength. But if you're someone that's kind of like Eric and you're on the cusp and you want a lot of shoulder and maybe some knee, but maybe you don't want to cover, you know, that many sporting events. And so that might lead you more towards a shoulder elbow fellowship or at least towards a sports fellowship that doesn't have as much team coverage as a major part of it. And so I think that's the last part I would say to the listeners is that, you know, saying sports medicine fellowship means so many different things depending upon which sports fellowship you go to. And the same go- holds true for shoulder and elbow fellows fellowship. So Peter can attest to this as can you, Rachel, like you can go to a shoulder and elbow fellowship and do no trauma, none. You can go to a shoulder and elbow fellowship and do not that much sports shoulder because that goes to the sports guys. Uh, you can go to a shoulder and elbow fellowship and do almost no elbow. Uh, so there are dramatic differences across the this great country of ours in what you might get at any of these different types of fellowships. And back to Eric's point, you can go to a, a, a sports fellowship and go to Ortho Carolina, where my co-fellow from Columbia, Pat Connors, there, and you're going to get an awesome shoulder experience. Again, not for the whole year, but you're going to get an awesome shoulder and an in-depth shoulder experience, at least in a concentrated fashion. So you guys have to understand the uh, the residents out there, what type of things you're most interested in. And you can kind of try to craft that depending upon which sports or which shoulder elbow fellowship you ultimately choose. Certainly. I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about the varieties of programs is that they really do look different. I wanted to follow up with you, Dr. Levine, on something Eric said that I think is always interesting and I've heard from other residents too. He said, I'm not ready to give up the knee yet. So my question for you is this, how often do you think it is that someone goes into practice as a sports surgeon and grows to become a solely shoulder sports surgeon? Like, is that 10% of sports surgeons? Is it 2%? Is it 50%? You, you, I know, know a lot of people throughout the country. How frequent do you think that really is? Well, you guys, you know, that understanding the history of our program, I think helps to answer this question. So we always, we were weird. I, I, I openly admit it, right? Because we've always been a shoulder and elbow fellowship, but because of Chris Ahmad and myself and Charlie Jobin and the other folks that we've recruited over the years, we actually participated in the sports medicine match because we thought it was important to be accredited. We thought having an accreditation means something. It means an overseeing body has said, you guys are you know, uh, meeting the goals and objectives of being accredited. So we really did have in, in those early days, the best of both worlds where we were a shoulder and elbow fellowship, but we were accredited as a sports medicine fellowship. And we thought that was a competitive advantage because if Eric wanted to sit for the subspecialty certification, he could do so from our fellowship. And we were one, we were the only shoulder and elbow fellowship that offered that back in the day. So I'll give you a concrete answer to your, to your question, Peter. Uh, you guys both all know Anand Murthy, very good friend and one of my earliest fellows at Columbia. And Anand did our shoulder and elbow fellowship. We weren't even, I'm not even sure we were accredited as sports back in that day. I don't think we were quite. Um, 
And uh, Anand was looking to go back to Maryland um, with his wife and they wanted to go back to Maryland. So the University of Maryland had a job opening, but it was in sports medicine. And he was really a quote, shoulder and elbow surgeon. Uh, so Andy Pollock called me and the, the folks at Maryland called and I said, he can do whatever you want. He's a phenomenal surgeon. He's going to be awesome. So Anand gets the job. Uh, he goes to the University of Maryland. I think he might have done one knee in his practice and then he became 100% shoulder and elbow. Um, and so I think that's more about who you are getting back to, to Eric and trying to decide like shoulder versus sports and, and knee. If you really lean, lean hard to the shoulder, you're probably going to end up giving up a lot of the knee stuff because the knee guys, men and women are going to want to be doing a lot of those more complex knees. So you might start out saying, well, I'll do the ACLs and menisci, but are those going to end up getting referred to you or are those going to get, go to the other sports uh, folks? So uh, I hope that helps to answer your question, Pete. So let me ask you both, and I think that this has grown in popularity over the last decade, but the concept of two fellowships or a formal fellowship for a year and then maybe a six-monther or a three-monther or a second formal fellowship through the match. And I think a lot of people who are wrestling with the decision that Eric has recently wrestled with say, okay, I'm just going to do both. I'm going to do the sports fellowship so I can get accredited, take care of teams, I don't want to give up knee, but I love shoulder. I want to do complex revision arthroplasty. So I'm going to dedicate a whole another year of my life of training and lost income to doing a second fellowship, uh, but I'll be that much better trained. I'll be that much better of a referral source for my group. What is the strategy here? Is this something we want trainees to do? Is this something, you know, everyone should pick on their own if they feel like they need the extra training or want the extra training? What should we be advising people to do? Um, Dr. Levine, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Eric on his thoughts about if he ever considered two fellowships. Well, as you know, I did do two fellowships, um, and so uh, I do have that as, as a certain bias, I guess. Um, that being said, uh, the, the folks that do two fellowships um, today uh, rarely do shoulder and sports. Um, I would say that's not a combo that's done as frequently as some of the other uh, two fellowship options. Uh, I think if we're honest, we will say that the number of two fellowship trainees has gone up because of the number of work hours has gone down. And so that does play a role in it, especially for applying and looking at academic positions where you might want to, you know, super specialize and do sports and ped sports, for example, uh, or shoulder, elbow and hand and kind of be the complete upper extremity surgeon. But I do have, we have a couple of candidates um, almost every year. There's a, an interesting um, applicant this year applying from New Zealand, who's going to be doing a sports fellowship uh, next year. And because she has a very specific job in mind back home in New Zealand, does want to do a shoulder and elbow fellowship. Uh, so, you know, I think sometimes there are unique reasons why, especially if you have, you know, if you're from Canada, you guys know you have to do at least three fellowships. Um, so that's a whole nother story, if unfortunately for our Canadian friends. Um, so I think that's kind of how I would look at it right now. I would, I, I've counseled people and mentored them that usually you probably don't have to do both, uh, unless the sports fellowship that you are going to just unfortunately doesn't have the depth and breadth of shoulder elbow that you think you really want in your practice. 
And Eric, when you have, when you're going through this decision process, did this cross your mind? Well, Hey, I, I don't know. So I'll do both and that's okay. I, I have, you know, my mindset on where I want to be and I can delay this year and get, you know, super subspecialized. Is this something on the resident side of things that you and your co-residents are talking about? Um, tell us what's going on in your head about this. Yeah, I definitely thought about it. And I've talked with a few uh, people, both residents and staff about it. We have one of our sports staff here who did two fellowships, not uh, not in shoulder and sports, but sports and hip preservation. And I think it's hard to know specifically for sports and shoulder elbow, if that's something that I feel like I'm going to need until I go through and do the first fellowship. Um, there's a, a fifth year resident in our program who grappled with the decision much like I did. And uh, fortunately landed in a place that has a nice shoulder experience. And she asked around when she interviewed, do you think I'm going to need, am I going to be comfortable doing open and arthroscopic shoulder, doing the whole breath? And a few programs said, absolutely. Coming from here, you, sh you sure will. So I think if I get into a program that is going to offer me that good experience, I don't know if I'm going to feel like I need to or not. So I think that's a hard question to answer until I go through the first time. Maybe I feel like I will. I'm not entirely sure. And part of that might be determining might be um, determined by the job I want or the job I'm interviewing for and the needs that they have. If I don't feel that I'm comfortable handling some of the things that they are asking of me, then that would maybe deter me one way or the other. But right Rachel, now it's hard to say. Can I follow up on that, Rachel? Because I think that's a great point that Eric raises. So, you know, if you think about it, the job search usually begins in earnest, you know, for people that don't have jobs coming in, uh, kind of October, November, December, you're interviewing, you're hopefully securing your job by January, February, because you've got to get state licensure and all that stuff in line. So, so the, the reality of that is that if you know the job you're going to, and you're at a sports fellowship that has some latitude in the last half of the year, that's a huge advantage. Uh, so for example, our sports fellow last year was Nick Dansker. And Nick was really very much like you, Eric. He was very interested in shoulder. Uh, and so um, his mentor, Jed Kuhn, suggested he look at our program because he really wanted sports, but he really wanted heavy shoulder. And then when the job search came, he was looking at a job in Tennessee and they really wanted him to do 100% shoulder elbow, basically. So he was able to then change his rotation schedule because he's the only sports fellow at Columbia in the second half. And he spent more time with Dr. Jobin and myself and Dr. Ahmad uh, doing a lot more shoulder and elbow arthroplasty, shoulder and elbow surgery. So I think that's enough, you know, if you're locked in and you've got a certain number of, of fellows and those rotations can't be changed, well, that's okay. But it is nice to have some latitude if, in case the job says, hey, we want you to be a hip surgeon and now you got to do more hip surgery, you know, or whatever it might be. I think what so that emphasizes is just when you're in your, someone like my shoes and you're trying to decide these things, if you do go the sports route, just being very careful about the program you select. Because as we talked about earlier, there's such a vast difference. And going to a place that allows you to tailor your experience to fit your needs, no matter what those needs are, I think is really nice. Certainly that applies if you know what you're, you know, like if you're in that specific situation in the last six months, let's talk about when you're the PGY4 and you're thinking to yourself, God, eventually I've got to get a job. Is there a concern about the job market for sports versus shoulder? Dr. Levine, I know you've had many fellows. I'm sure you've tried to get all of them jobs. What is, 
what has been your impression? Is it easier to get a job in sports or shoulder? And um, should this is, is this something we should be worried about when we make this decision? Well, Eric knows what I'm going to do now because we we call this the math equation, Pete. And Peter and Rachel and Eric are all much smarter than me. I'm, I just grew up in North Dakota. I'm a little farm kid, but here's the math question for you: two hundred and forty-three versus forty-three. What is that? What is the math question that I'm asking, Peter? That's the number of sports medicine fellow graduates every year coming out of fellowship training, and that's the number of shoulder and elbow fellowship trained folks coming out every year. So I think the reason that there's this notion that there's no jobs for shoulder elbow somehow um, comes from the place of what you guys, we all understand is a problem. And the problem is this, when Peter uh, trained at Wash U with Ken Yamaguchi and Lisa Gallitz, and he's seen, and Jay Keener, he's seen those guys at the top of their game, right? They've got 100% shoulder elbow practices. They're busy. They're doing a million shoulder elbow cases. And that's the practice that you want. That's why you took that fellowship, right? And when Rachel's at Rush and sees all those guys doing all those unbelievable cases, that's the practice she envisions, the problem is what you didn't see is the years in the in, leading up to that where they didn't have those practices. And so I think there's this false narrative about well, there aren't jobs. Well, maybe there isn't a job that you're doing 100% shoulder elbow from day one. And there's a lot of jobs where you're not doing 100% complex, cool sports medicine from day one. You're, you're, you're grinding it out, taking care of hip fractures and ankle fractures and hoping to do a couple of meniscectomies. And then, oh my God, an ACL comes your way and you're like high-fiving. So I think there's a lot of false narrative on this topic. I say this all the time, Chris Ahmad, the one of the world's most famous sports medicine surgeons, the head team physician for the New York Yankees, the New York City Football Club, a world-renowned shoulder and elbow surgeon, started out at Palisades Hospital in New Jersey which was one of the worst hospitals. Columbia was trying to make it a better hospital, had a horrible reputation. Chris was taking, you know, call there and taking care of infected total knees. Uh, he was covering high school baseball or high school football games uh, with um, Ira Wolf, longtime friend of Louis Biliani. Um, nothing glamorous about anything that Dr. Ahmad did. To, but you know what he was doing? He was setting himself up for success. He was doing cases. He was seeing patients. But none of that would have been what you guys would have said, oh, my God, this is, I mean, he was at Curlin Job, right? He was hanging out with Neil Elitrash and Lou Yoakum and, and Dr. Job himself before he passed away. So I think that's part of the problem with this discussion about the jobs is when you, when you really look at it, you're going to take a job and the cream will rise to the top. You guys are going to roll your sleeves up. You're going to get busy. You're going to do what all, us, all of us have done, which is work hard to get to uh, the, the promised land, hopefully. All right, Eric. So you tell me, what's the perception among residents as to whether or not it's easier to get a job in sports or shoulder and then I'm hoping you might tell us, I know you've been through all this, what did you end up deciding to do and why? Yeah, hard to say it better than Dr. Levine did. Um, from a, a resident perspective, 
Um, our shoulder elbow faculty here at Wisconsin actually trained under Dr. Levine, and we had an extensive discussion about this when I was trying to decide. And he essentially went through the same uh, spiel and that the ratio is about one to one. There's fewer total jobs, but there's also fewer candidates for shoulder elbow. There's more total sports jobs, but there's also a lot more people. And one of the, the things that also helped me decide is my wife is also in medicine and I hope to, to pursue a job in a place where she is also comfortable living and has a good opportunity for her. So in a way I'm betting on myself, though I know I'll be competing with more people for a, a sports job, but hopefully a sports job that's heavy shoulder that I, I will like, but I know I'm gonna you know, bust my tail and do everything I can to work hard to, to succeed and excel. So I think just having more total opportunities, open up more potential cities would maybe be the best thing for my family, which is one of the reasons I, I did ultimately decide on, on sports. Welcome to the good life. Dr. Cotter, you made the right decision. No bias here. Um, Pete mentioned that at the start of this podcast, this may be a little bit controversial. And at the next portion of the podcast, we're going to get into some questions that might be a little uncomfortable, might not be, who knows. Um, but we want to get both of your opinions. And, um, and so please feel free to speak freely. Uh, we'll start with Dr. Levine on this. So you mentioned that things have changed as our understanding of pathology has changed, as options for treatment have expanded. Do you think that as shoulder surgery has become more complex, it is truly achievable to have a sports fellowship that provides depth in all fields to be an excellent shoulder surgeon? Well, I think the short answer is, of course, yes, it can. Um, but you have to ask yourself, you know, it, it's kind of like the the 80%, 20% discussion about who's doing the greatest number of arthroplasties, right? And we know that, you know, that number that 80% of people doing shoulder arthroplasties do, you know, 10 or less a year, and the other 20% are done by, you know, people like Pete Chalmers and, and others who do hundreds a year. And so, the question you have to ask yourself as a listener out there is, do you want to be some, do, do you want to be doing an operation that you're doing six or 10 or 15 a year uh, and feel like you can do as good a job as if you were doing a hundred of something a year? And I think we all know the answer to that, that you, you really can't. So I think the, the answer to your question specifically is, can you get a depth and breadth of shoulder and elbow in a, in a sports fellowship? Well, not to the same extent as if you're doing shoulder elbow. I think that's pretty clear. You can certainly um, get great training. And then you may, if you evolve towards shoulder and elbow, you may spend some time either during the latter part of your sports fellowship, if possible, or even after your sports fellowship, you may go spend some time with a shoulder and elbow surgeon just to get a little extra reps. Uh, extra, um, you know, in-depth uh, opportunities. Um, so I think it's it comes back to figuring out, you know, what where do I see myself on the end of this whole run and how best do I get there? Dr. Levine, do you mind if I ask you how, in your experience, how common is it for uh fellows after they complete either a sports or a shoulder elbow fellow to spend an extra month, two months, three months with a, a group doing more shoulder elbow stuff, either here or abroad. Have you found that to be so, those opportunities to be somewhat frequent? 
Well, listen, I just hired Rob Christian, um, who's just started uh, two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, uh, we had a need for a hip surgeon and uh, Rob was finishing his was at Duke doing his sports fellowship uh, with Chad Mather. And when we started the discussions, um, uh, it moved fast and we decided to, to hire Rob. And we also decided to have Rob stay three extra months because again, by the point we had decided they couldn't really re rejigger his schedule to do more hip during the fellowship. So he stayed an extra three months. He already had his license. Didn't that didn't impact things. And they made sure he didn't step on the other uh, incoming fellows toes. And it worked out great. And those three months were super invaluable uh, for Dr. Christian uh, from both his perspective and Dr. Mather's perspective. Chad really thought that that was really a game changer, um, you know, because, again, it's more repetition. It's more um, uh, time with the mentor one on one, because now, you know, this is really what where you're going to go. Uh, and I think we all have had friends, uh, Rachel, Peter and I, who've gone after their fellowship and spent time. I think that's invaluable. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it's great to do even in your mid-career uh, to go. You know, when I go visit a, a place, I love to go to the operating room uh, with my friends and, and see stuff they're doing because you never stop learning and you're going to be seeing things that you might actually bring back to your practice and, and uh, change and tweak things a bit. So I think it, you, we never stop learning, Eric. And I think the bottom line is that that's the other cool thing is that because so so many of us and so many people out there are open to that, you don't really have to feel like your education stops because it really doesn't. Uh, and you're going to continue learning and continue evolving as a physician and surgeon. So, you know, you can go, uh, you know, call Rachel and go visit her in Colorado and go visit Pete in, uh, in, in Salt Lake and have an awesome time. Let me, so let me ask a quick follow-up on that. I think one of the things you mentioned in the middle of that was that, you know, that you can tailor your fellowship maybe to spend more time doing shouldering or sports fellowship. But would you say that has to come at the expense of something else that then maybe you would say, well, I'm probably not going to feel comfortable doing hips or maybe I'm not going to be as comfortable with cartilage or that there's something else that it comes at a price. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you, when you advise students, do you tell them, you know, this is a, this is one thing you need to consider. Well, I don't think you can be a dabbler in hip arthroscopy and I don't think you can be a dabbler in cartilage restoration procedures either. Right. So I, I think you, you know, there's so many different um, uh, pathways that we decide what's important and what's not important. And, you know, look at, at how we've handled at Columbia. We decided really early that Chris Ahmad's going to be the Tommy John surgeon. So every single Tommy John at Columbia has been going to Dr. Ahmad for over a decade. I mean, every single one. Um, and he and conversely, Chris doesn't love doing elbow trauma. And I love elbow trauma. So Chris sends elbow trauma to me. So we have a nice little pathway there. Um, and Chris doesn't do as much complex revision shoulder arthroplasty. So he sends that to me, or now we send that to Mike Knutson, who just joined us. So I think that's part of the give and take, if you will, um, that, that can really work nicely. If you have that kind of, you know, look, it, it's got to be in an environment, Pete, that that, that can work. Um, but, but I think that's nice when you have that. And then you guys can do what you're most comfortable in, what you're most passionate about. 
but I don't think you want to be in a position where you're doing a couple of anything, especially those procedures, which I think really require a higher level of expertise. We're not talking about doing a simple knee scope. You know, you're doing complex hip arthroscopy. You've got to be someone that's pretty comfortable with that. Uh, patients on the other end of those procedures need to, you know, trust that you're, you're going to be able to get through that operation safely, efficiently, and hopefully done very well. Let's get to the real meat of this, which I think, the, I think the real meat of this is orthoplasty. Like, I feel like that's the real problem is that the shoulder surgeons think that the shoulder orthoplasty is their thing. And the sports surgeons think, well, I can do a couple of arthroplasties. So I guess my question about all this would be then, do you think that as a sports surgeon, it's okay for you to do arthroplasty, especially as things get more complicated and we talk about reverse bone graft and we talk about revisions and we talk about concomitant tendon transfers, or do you think that that's something that maybe should be performed more by shoulder level surgeons? What do you think? Well, I th oh, go ahead, Eric. I would, I would hope, uh, if you go to a sports fellowship that offers you a nice arthroplasty experience, you'd feel comfortable doing primaries and at least some degree of complexity of revisions. Now to say that you probably would do as many revisions in a sports fellowship as a shoulder elbow fellowship, I think that would be a naive thing uh, to think. But I know I, I talked about this both with Rachel and uh, a mentor of mine, Brian Waterman has been great to me and he does a fair bit of arthroplasty in his practice. So I talked at length with him and did the Rush Fellowship as well and, and felt that the experience he uh, received during his fellowship set him up to do those cases and do them competently, efficiently, and do a nice job. So I maybe it depends on your fellowship. I'm just relying on the, the advice that I've, I've received, but I think so. At least I hope so. What do you think, Dr. Levine? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, there are differences between sports fellowships and shoulder fellowships. Uh, they're, they're, it, we would probably be naive to say otherwise. And it doesn't mean that you can't be uh, Brian Waterman uh, and others who did quote unquote sports fellowships, but have strong shoulder elbow influences and practices and expertise. But in general, I would say that a lot of places don't know that there is a major difference about being a shoulder elbow fellow or sports until they hire a shoulder elbow trained fellow. Then they realize there actually is a difference. And there's examples of that all over the country that I can give you. John Bell is my favorite story. Uh, John was my, uh, you know, is at Dartmouth, as you guys know, came to us from Iowa. Uh, he and Bob Tajan were the same uh, genre, Peter, in case you didn't know, they were both looking at the academic jobs in the country that year. And of course, Bob went to Utah and John went to Dartmouth. And when he was initially being recruited, Charlie Carr called me, who was the longtime team doc for Dartmouth. And he said, yeah, Bill, I don't know if we really need a shoulder, a shoulder elbow trained guy. You know, we do shoulder and elbow. And I said, Charlie, you know, John's going to be a superstar. He's going to be a guy that you're going to see the interest in shoulder elbow go up like through the roof from your residence. And so they hired him and uh, and about 10 seconds after he got there and started doing the stuff he was doing, they're like, OK, there is a big difference. We weren't really doing this stuff. And so I think that's the bottom line. There is a difference and um, and there should be a difference. Right. I mean, it's hard to do a sports fellowship and say you're doing the exact same stuff as you're doing in a shoulder elbow fellowship. Uh, that's not really realistic. 
Um, and again, it doesn't mean you can't do awesome shoulder elbow through a sports fellowship, but choose wisely and also choose, you know, make sure that if you're really super interested, if you're a resident right now and you're on the fence, you got to sit down and write, do this exercise that I've told students and residents to do for the last 25 years. Cause my mentor, John Richmond told me to do it when I was a resident at Tufts. And he said on the back of a napkin, write down your ideal day in the operating room. What would that look like? You can do any cases you want, write it down. And you know what? That's what my practice is like today. So I feel very blessed that I had mentors that helped guide me that way. And I think you guys out there listening, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, you know, do I really want to do the broad breadth and depth of sports medicine and have cool knees and shoulders and elbows and hips and foot and ankle? Do I want a more narrow focused sports practice or do I really want 100% shoulder elbow? Because if you really want shoulder and elbow and you're okay giving up the knee, as Eric said, then I think the pathway becomes very clear. And don't worry about the job market on the other end. Worry about what makes you happy and what you're going to be passionate about doing. You guys are going to get jobs. I've yet to meet anybody I've ever mentored who's had to start driving a cab to, uh, to make ends meet. Shockingly, that does not happen, guys. Little do you know, I'm actually driving for Uber right now to make ends meet. <laughs> Peter, I, I know that surprised. is so not true. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you were driving for Uber, you know, writing a paper at the same time and inventing some sort of prosthesis. I love, I love the efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you guys one more controversial question. Um, and I, again, I think it's good to put this stuff out here. Because uh, these are questions that I think a lot of residents have and, and perception uh, is everything in, in many cases. Um, should shoulder and elbow trained fellowship trained surgeons be head team physicians for professional teams if they did not complete additional sports medicine fellowship training? What are your thoughts, Dr. Levine? Uh, well, that's a tough question. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unwrap in that. I mean, obviously, there are plenty of people that um, back in the day, uh, when things were different, uh, rose to those ranks where you could be a team physician and not necessarily, you know, there was no subspecialty certification, etc. Uh, I think the reality is that uh, that would be a harder sell today than it was back then because of the subspecialty certification, because of the breadth and depth of, of, uh, of, uh, of sports. But I think the reality is that the, the question is, what are the competencies to be a team physician, a head team physician? Um, and at what level, professional, collegiate, high school, et cetera. And uh, so I think that the, the, the answer is that, yes, you certainly can be a head team physician uh, and not have a formal sports fellowship. Uh, but I think those, those are bigger challenges than we've had historically. And most people that have those aspirations obviously come through it, the sports pathway, uh, typically not the shoulder elbow, as we uh, alluded to earlier. Eric, was that in your consideration when you were deciding between sports and shoulder in terms of the team coverage aspect? Was that something that interested you or not? Was that not part of your decision-making process? It absolutely was. Uh, I would like to cover sports teams. And in, in talking with our chairman here, he made an interesting point to me that I hadn't thought about previously. At smaller to medium-sized academic programs, shoulder-elbow surgeons 
are generally under the umbrella of the sports division. And that's the same holds true at our institution. And in order to be a part of that sports division, at least here, um, you need to cover a sports team. There's 25 plus sports teams, and it's a fair bit of work to go to all the games, take care of the, the hundreds of, of high-level athletes on a Big Ten campus. So uh, to be able to contribute and have a genuine interest in, I think is the most important thing. You shouldn't do something you're not interested in. But if you do have an interest in that, I, I think it's nice. Not all shoulder elbow fellowships, at least that I'm aware of, offer a uh, team coverage experience. So you may not come out ready to, to do and participate in that type of activity. Pete, let me ask you, because you, you know, obviously went to a phenomenal shoulder and elbow fellowship after being in a very sports medicine heavy focused residency, um, you know, and, and having been there myself, I, overlapping with you, I, I can attest to that. Do you feel you take care of athletes now? You take care of a lot of collegiate and professional athletes. Do you feel that your shoulder and elbow fellowship gave you the tools to be able to talk to agents, to deal with the non-surgical component of being a team physician? Or do you feel like you got more of that from your experience at Rush or a combination of the above and kind of on the job learning? Do you, what, talk to us about that, especially for some of our listeners debating between these two different fellowship paths. Um, and I think the first thing to mention and to get this out front is there are limitations placed by certain team physician organizations on whether or not you can be a lead team physician without an added certification. So that's true at the NBA level. I'm fairly certain that's true at the MLS level. I don't know about the MLB, but that that certainly could limit your options. So for instance, while I cover jazz games, I cannot be the lead team physician for the jazz because I don't have a sports CAQ. Um, there are, um, so I think that's one thing to consider. I personally do take care of a lot of athletes and I feel very comfortable doing so, but I, as you know, had a lot of experience doing so at Rush. And I think that probably colors my decisions that I went through. I, um, I, I'm very thankful for the fellowship training that I received. I was very lucky to be fortunate, really fortunate to be where I was and to have the mentors that I had. And, um, I think almost daily about all the things they taught me and how lucky I was. One thing I wanted to comment about something Dr. Levine said that I think is really telling, you know, he, you mentioned the story with John Eric Bell and Dartmouth about how he arrived and they said, oh, no, we weren't doing those things. We had the same discussion actually at my place recently when we were talking about hiring another shoulder and elbow surgeon and we talked about how that influences sports. And Bob Burks, who's our senior partner, who's well-known without the field, said something that I thought was telling. He, he turned to Bob Tash and he said, you know, you're doing things that before you arrived, we weren't doing that we didn't even know existed. Some of those things, of course, have been invented since Bob Tashin started. Some of them Bob Tashin himself has invented, to be honest. Um, so I think that's I think that's part of it here is that there are, these spheres are overlapping, but they are not perfectly overlapping. Um, and so I think that colors your decision when you try and decide which of these things you wanna do. All right, well, as we wind down from this podcast, We'd love to ask both of our guests any final thoughts, any words of wisdom, Eric, as you just went through this decision-making process, any final um, recommendations for our listeners out there, in particular, our, our medical student, resident, junior resident listeners who are you know, thinking about this decision. And I'm sure like you are thinking about it every single night and wondering, am I making the right choice? And what's the next 10 years of my life going to look like, let alone the rest of my career? Any, any final lasting words of wisdom for us? Yeah, I think if this discussion has shown anything, it's how much your training as you come up colors your view, your mentors, 
and the practices you see them have. We had a long tradition of excellent sports surgeons here. We hired our, our first shoulder elbow surgeon just four years ago. He's been a wonderful mentor to me. This place has historically been a, a very sports dominated place. And when you're around, uh, when you're around your mentors and you see them being successful and happy in their practice, naturally you want to, you want to emulate them. And that's much the same as in medical school when you're trying to decide on a, a career path, when you are with good residents on a rotation or good attendings, it, it kind of colors your view. And I feel very fortunate to have the training and the mentors that I've had, but there's no doubt that that's had an influence on me and, and helped color the, the way I'm ultimately going. Your mentorship, uh, Brian Waterman's mentorship, it all, it all means a lot to me. And, and to say it hasn't had an influence would be, would be lying. And Dr. Levine, you know, you advise people every day. You've advised me. I'm sure you've advised Pete. Um, I mean, this is, this is part of your full-time job. And I'm sure you get residents just like Eric coming in saying, what do I do? And how do I decide? And I love everything. I can't decide. I want to, I want to be Chris Ahmad when I grow up. I want to be a superstar in this field or that field. Any, any final words of wisdom for our listeners about as they make these choices, um, how to really face these decisions? Well, first of all, thanks again, uh, Rachel and Pete and ASCS for hosting this. Um, I hope that your listeners um, find value. Uh, I think Eric's a great example of someone who, you know, has gone through a great residency program, has tried to sort through what he's passionate about and which direction to go and has uh, ultimately decided that sports was the right path for him. Um, and I think for the listeners, uh, you know, you have to be extremely introspective and honest with yourself. Um, and, you know, it's uh, sometimes it gets very seductive, this process, like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to cover teams. Uh, do you really want to cover teams? That's a question that I ask residents all the time. And one of my most amazing residents of all time uh, thought she was going to do sports medicine until that question actually came hitting her like a ton of bricks. She just had a baby. Uh, she's an awesome resident. Every single service was wanted her to do their specialty. And we all thought she was going to do sports or shoulder or adult recon. And she decided she wants to be a hand surgeon and she's really passionate about it. So you have to be honest because that whole thing about covering games, uh, it's, it's kind of like medical students think trauma is really cool because in the middle of the night, you get to put screws in and put a nail down. And then when you get to be a, an attending, you're like, can we do this at 8 a.m.? Uh, and so covering games is not so sexy uh, after the, it starts out. And so you got to be really honest about that. And I think that's really critical. That's number one. Uh, number two is that I think you do have to do this reverse engineer thing of looking at your practice in five years and what do I really see myself doing? What am I going to be most happy doing? And help, help hopefully that helps guide you. Uh, and then the last thing that I would say is that geography and partners in life often dictate where you're going to be looking for jobs. And so if you take the 70% number that we haven't talked about yet, 70% of us in orthopedic surgery leave our jobs within the first five years. So all the discussion about is there a job or isn't there a job or what's the job market like, guys, throw that out the window. The likelihood of you all finding a utopic job right out of the box is not very high. And so it takes some of the pressure off. You can look at that and say, oh, that's awful. I look at that and say it's liberating. 
You're going to find the best job available when you're done with your fellowship where you and your partner decide you'd like to live. And I know Eric's got a very narrow bandwidth of where he's going to be looking. And that did significantly influence his thought process here. But at the end of the day, that first job may or may not be his last job, but statistically, probably not. So you're going to go get the best job you can. You're going to get your training in. You're going to get your reps in. You're going to pass your boards. And then the dust will have settled and maybe you're going to be looking for another job, uh, either in the same geography or maybe in a different place. But you're going to be a lot better versed at how to look at the second job than you were the first. Well, I wanted to thank both of you for coming on and talking about this. This is, um, I think, a topic that's of interest to a lot, large number of people. And hopefully this consolidation of advice will be useful to residents going forward as they try and make these decisions. And I'm sure it will be of interest to shoulder surgeons who I'm likely to get their several emails about how we shouldn't have done this. So anyway, this has been <laughs> great. I appreciate the controversy. Um, thank you both for spending time with us. Thanks, thank you, guys. guys. Really appreciate it. Just let the record reflect at the end of the day, Dr. Cotter chose sports, even though he has a very big shoulder and elbow interest, and it is possible. And on that lovely note, that's all the time we have for this podcast. We are so grateful to both of our guests for spending so much time with us tonight. For all of our shoulder and elbow listeners out there, please don't forget to subscribe. And for Pete Chalmers, I'm Rachel Frank, and we'll see you next time. I'm changing the template. You don't get to have the last word anymore. Yes. No, no, Pete, no we, that is the last word. Pete, no, no, Pete that was brutal. Pete, we're, that's we're, the last we're, word. And if you edit it. that out, we're, I'm we're gonna, it. I, would, I want last word from now on. I'm going to let you know the powers that be know that this was the original intent, the original speech. This is why we recruited Eric to be the resident on this podcast. Um, so, you know, that's the way it is. These are the, these are the facts. Hey, Pete, I would suggest an alternative ending recording with you and me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't think so i mean these are supposed to be fully transparent open and honest podcasts the facts are the facts <laughs> I, I think for due to seniority we need to have dr levine have the last word <laughs> uh thanks guys right. that was fun <laughs> thank, thank you guys, guys. Really nice to see, you again. Good night. see you soon eric take care bye guys